0: We are blessed today to have Pastor Ali Mati from northern Nigeria, delivering the Word of God to us and helping us to worship over the Word. Pastor Ali Mati, I first met several years ago at a lunch with another pastor friend of ours from Kwamba Baptist, Pastor Ivan Fisk, and I immediately found a dear brother and friend in Pastor Ali Mati. We have corresponded by text and phone some since then, and then more recently, it became clear that the Lord would have Pastor Alimati speak to us here on this Lord's Day in the pulpit when he happens to be by God's providence in northern Minnesota. He's studying presently at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, having finished a Master's Divin- of Divinity there. He's now studying and writing a PhD on the theme of the image of God in the human person. Magnificent theme. Pastor Ali Mati has served as a pastor for over 15 years in northern Nigeria before coming to the United States. After his studies are completed, he said he's willing to return to northern Nigeria or wherever the Lord calls he and his family. He's married to his wife, Linda. They have three children. Gift is nine years old, Elphis is eight, and Gimbia is two it strikes me that when the writer of Hebrews says there are some of whom the world is not worthy and they're walking among us, Pastor Ali Mati is one of those, as with as well as his family. He comes to us surely with the joy of the Lord, but simultaneously with the sorrow of loss for loved ones who have become martyrs for the faith of Jesus Christ because of the persecution in northern Nigeria. Pastor Ali Mati, would you come? We look forward to hearing the word of God through you. Welcome.
1: I bring greetings to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I appreciate my brother and uh, friend, Reverend Nelson, for giving me this opportunity to bring God's Word together with the leaders of this church. I'm so excited and humble to open God's Word this morning, knowing that it's not my message, but it is God's message. Uh, thank you so much for uh, that's sufficient introduction. Uh, my wife and children are supposed to be here with me, but they are at uh, Baptist Church Comba because my wife needs to interact with the church members during Sunday school session. Uh, that's why she isn't here this morning. But uh, she sends her greetings and her love and also the children together. Since uh, if Nelson has introduced me. I will just move ahead to the business of these few seconds that I have before me. Sovereign Lord, we thank you for the privilege to know you as our Lord and Savior. Thank you for choosing us before the foundations of the earth. Despite the darkness and the clouds over our generation. In your providence, you have allowed us, O oh God, to behold the light of the gospel. We say thank you. As we're seated here, Lord, I'm also taking my seat along with brothers and sisters to hear you as you speak to us this morning. Your word is life, is sharper than two double-edged swords. Your word is like hammer and fire, Lord, I stand on these truths of the text, and may you, O oh God, extray our lives, encourage us, rebuke us where necessary. Holy Spirit, thank you. But Father, thank you because you're here. This I pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. While walking through the forest one day, a man found a young eagle who had fallen out of his net. He took it home and put it in his barnyard where it soon learned to eat and behave like a chicken. One day a naturalist passed by the farm and asked why it was that the king of all birds should be confined to live in the barnyard with the chickens. The farmer replied that since he had given it chicken feed and trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. Since it now behaved as the chickens, it was no longer an eagle. Still, it has the heart of an eagle, replied the naturalist, and can surely be taught to fly. He lifted the eagle toward the sky and said, you belong to the sky and not to the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle, however, was confused. He did not know who he was, and seeing the chickens eating their food, he jumped down to be with the chicken again. The naturalist took the bird to the roof of the house and argued or urged him again, saying, You are an eagle. Stretch forth your hands or your wings and fly. But the eagle was afraid of his unknown self and world, and jumped down once more for the chicken foot. Finally, the naturalist took the eagle out of the barnyard to a high mountain. There he held the naturalist, or he held the wing of this bird, the eagle, and encouraged the eagle once more, again saying, You are an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle looked around. Back towards, to the barnyard, and up to the sky. Then the naturalist lifted the the, lifted its struts, toward the sun. And it happened that the eagle began to tremble. Slowly, he started his wing. or he stretched his wings, and with a triumphant cry, soared away into the heavens. It may be that the eagle still remembers the chickens with nostalgia. It may even be that the, he, he occasionally revisits the barnyard. But as far as anyone knows, he has never returned to lead the life of the chicken. This is a quote I got from Theology News Notes, October 1976. Why am I bringing this? You will see why I'm bringing this in a few minutes, as we dive into the text before us. When we were praying in the office before coming in, the, one of the people prayed, and he said, thank God for the me- message last week on the church of uh, Simarna. Then it dawned on me, maybe this church is going through the book of Revelation. So I quickly asked him, what was the text last week? Are you guys going through the book of Revelation? He said, of course. Then I was like, I've never checked the website of this church up until this morning. I don't know the name of this church. Until when we were walking through the woods, then I saw the signboard. The only thing I knew was Reverend Nelson invited me to come to preach in his church. I didn't care to find out the name of the church. And when he asked me, what is the text you are going to speak? Some weeks ago. I've already walked in first Timothy talking about remember Jesus Christ. But inside my heart, I felt that wasn't the message that the Lord wanted me to deliver. Then the message came from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. So when I heard that, I said, this message is really from the Lord. So I have to do it as the Lord desires me to do it. Our text is Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14 to 22, which has been read. And I just wanted to reflect on this title. You are neither cold nor hot. Hear what the Spirit says to His people. And as we go through, I want you to keep the story of the eagle that behaves like a chicken. Then you will see why I'm bringing that story as we go through the passage together. I want us to walk through the passage together and then we will be drawing some applications in the process as we go together. But the central goal or the central message I see in this passage is this. The passage points us to the identity of Jesus Christ. The passage rebuke or rebukes us against unqualitative Christian life. And thirdly, The passage, Jesus Christ exhorts us with the best promise ever for humanity. So we walk through the passage and see how this text helps us to see what Jesus desires to see today. But it's good to know that initially this text was written to a church called the Church in Laodicea. This is the last church in the series of seven churches that Jesus spoke to through the revelation of John. The beloved. It's good before we walk to see what is this city, Laodicea. What is crucial? What is so intriguing about this city? It is important to know that the city of Laodicea is very important at the time this text was written. It was part of those cities that the church in Ephesus reached out to. I'm not going to give the background of Revelation since your pastor have already done that. So I'll just dive into the text before me. The church in Laodicea was part of the churches that the church in Ephesus planted. We remember in Acts when the Bible said that when Paul preached the word and the apostle, the Asia Minor had a lot of churches planted. One of those churches is the church in Laodicea. But one of the interesting things about Laodicea, as the largest city of Phrygia, although it was not a natural fortress yet, it was a challenge for invaders because it has a good security system. It became one of the most important commercial cities during the Roman Empire. It was very instrumental because some historians said that this city was known for its best, or it produced one of the best medical schools at this time, which we'll see in the text. Because this church or this city was uh, known for uh, a medical school that produced one of the medicine that was used to cure eye problems in those days. So it means that this city was very, very important. Just on a side note, any university that is able to come up with cure of coronavirus, I'm sure that city will make a name in centuries to come. So the city of Laodicea was like that. It was also none of its textile industry. Because in the text we learned that they were invited to buy from Christ, not from those industries, clothing, because that city was known of good textiles industries. So we could say that this city was uh, a commercial hope at that time. A school with allies with good medical school, a school with good uh, no, a city with good economy, and a city with good town planning. Because water was a big problem at that time. We learned that they had to dug underground channels so that they could channel water from neighboring cities so that they could have good water. Even at that, the water had some problems. So this city was very, very important. Now, One other minus now for this city, it was people were so proud. Education, economy, health, good town planning, security. They don't need God. They don't need God because all those things were available. The text before us, verse 14, says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea read the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That's how this letter opened. The passage, I said, point us first to the identity of Jesus Christ. The text introduces us to Jesus Christ, the one who holds the world into his hands. We see that in chapter 2, verse 1. The first and the last who died and came back to life. We see that in Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. Who has the sharp two-edged sword. We see that in chapter 12 of of verse 2. The son of God who has eyes like flame of fire. We see that in verse 18 of chapter 2. Has the seven spirits and seven stars. We see that in chapter 3 verse 1. The holy one. The true one who has key of David, who opened and no one will shut. And the one who shut, no one opens. We see that in chapter 3, verse 8. The amen, which simply means firm, steady, trustworthy, and truth. We also see that this Jesus we're talking about, he is witness. Someone who confirms, have the right information, who, ha- who is faithful, true, and also he is the beginning of all creation. It's good to know that here. This does not mean that Jesus is created. When the Bible talks about Jesus as the beginning of creation, it's not saying he was the first to be created. Because John helps us to understand that very well in John chapter 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is who? The Word is God. Then he move on to say, through him all things are created. Therefore, in the beginning does not suggest that Jesus was or is a creature. But it simply means he predates. He existed before the concept of beginning starts, which has to do with time. The reaffirmation of the titles of Christ in this passage is to affirm that he loves us. One of the songs we sang it says, "He freed us from our sins and his bl- through his blood. Since He died for our sakes, He forsake He truly loves us." like the Laodicean Church, the church in America, I will say, and the church in the London. That we are listening to God's word this morning. And those of us listening either here or online to this message, we are reminded that this Christ is not an ordinarily human being. The Christ we're talking about is not an ideological concept. The Christ we're talking about is not a fictional character. But we are talking about the person of God in Christ Jesus. He represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that in this letter, how each of these representations came on board. The title is a great encouragement to us today. Although the passage rebuked and exhorted believers in Laodicea and us today, it is subtly or centrally focusing on Jesus Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit, And the Son, who is Jesus Christ, Jesus rebuked the believers. He assured them the most important thing in life is to be in his Father's kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what these few lines for gives to us. There is more to that. But for the sake of our reflection this morning, it is good for us to remember that the passage before us did not just gives us, you know, the divinity of Christ. It gives us also the humanity of Christ. So that we have a balanced understanding of who we are talking about. Maybe wait a minute you must say, preacher, why are you saying all this? This is very important. The writer of this passage is deliberate for bringing the, verse 14 at the beginning of these Uh, a a letter to the Leducian church, which you see in all the letters. The character, the identity, and the personality of Christ is crucial because this church was close to Colossae. And those of us that are familiar with the book of Colossians, is a book that the Colossian city at that time, they struggled with understanding who Christ really is. They, they, They struggled to understand the identity of Christ. That's why in Colossians, you hear Paul telling the the, the carrier of that text, he will say, read this letter of mine, even though to Colossae, but to the Laodicean church. Research has found out that the Laodicean church is just 10 miles away from the church in Colossae. So it means these two churches have similar struggles when it comes to challenge of the doctrine of Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Before I make for the comment, it's good to just pause here and say, the reason why some people around the Lord suffered persecution is nothing. Just because they say Jesus is Lord. When you come to Africa, when you come to Nigeria, many people suffer killing, many people lose li- uh, 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 fellow family members, many people lose property simply because they say Jesus is Lord. In America today, Many people are losing jobs because they say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The truth of this passage before us is not a fiction. It is a verifiable and authentic information. You can check history of Laodicea to find out whether this Laodicean city really existed or not. Secondly, the attributes and identity of Jesus is a great comfort and motivation to the three, or to, to us today. To us today, for instance. Jesus is a man. And when you are with someone who is the man, who carries the right interpretation of reality, who has the right understanding of reality, you have nothing to be afraid of. Today, many people are confused about who they are, simply because they refuse to accept what God says they are. When God says you are a, but just some people will just decide because they have a lot of knowledge given to them by God, and then they will say, oh no, it was a mistake. May God have mercy on us. May God have mercy on our nation. When people will support ideas, That are contrary to what God says we are. You know, there are places where today, where you cannot just tell God, God is a he. One of my friends is studying one of the institutions in this country. And he asked, he, he said, you see, I need prayers. I said, what's going on? He said, if I write papers, they want me to address God as she. If I don't do that, they say I'm discriminatory and I can fill that course. These are institutions that are established on the foundation of the Amen Christ. But today, they have turned their back against Jesus Christ. When you have a wrong understanding of who Jesus is, then the remaining part of this text become part of your life. And that's where we are moving to the next point of my sermon. Rebuke against unqualitative Christian life. We see that verse 15 to 17. Verse 15 to 17. The Bible says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, or that your life lacks good quality without passion or fervency. Thus, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am wealthy and I am happy and I love, I have no need. You do not see that you are suffering from spiritual and emotional misery. You are full of misery, hopeless, blind, naked, without spiritual covering. Without spiritual covering. Although the Laodicean church was not condemned like the other churches, but an evaluation of Jesus concerning this church reveals some important things I just want us to note quickly. Number one, the passage indict or Jesus indict this church in verse 16. Because you are lukewarm. So this church was lukewarm. A church that doesn't have a correct identity of Christ will be lukewarm. A Christian, someone who calls himself a Christian who has a wrong understanding of the identity of Christ will be lukewarm. So quickly, Jesus indicted the church of Laodicea. He asserts that. He knows their work. He describes the quality of their works as neither cold nor hot. They present works that lack quality. And fervency. And you know, it's, it's like the metaphor there, the water metaphor is very instructive in this text. The waters that flow from the neighboring Heropolis is hot, according to some researchers, a medicinal, and the water that flows from Colosi was also refreshing. On the one hand, the water in Lodesia is neither cold nor hot. It is not refreshing, it is not medicinal, therefore it does not have value. So it's good. We understand the geography there. Since Lodeia has to channel its water, it takes water from two cities, from Colosi and from Heriapolis. One water is coming from a hot area which during the spring. The other water is cold all the time, like Lake Superior. You know, I I was there with my wife, and then we were asking ourselves, does this water ever get warm? So when these two sources of water meet together, the warm and the cold water, then the, the, the level of heat or warmness of the water that flows from Heropolis and the level of coldness from the water that flows from Colossi reduces. And then it becomes lukewarm. And when, a water, when water is lukewarm, it doesn't quench thirst. And it doesn't help you to warm any food either. So the metaphor here is used to describe How different kinds of teachings, how different sources of spiritual nourishment affected the Christians and unbelievers in the church of Laodicea. You know, today, that we have all manner of teachers online. Some of you, you always want to gauge Reverend Nelson's message based on what you hear online. So when he preached, and then you go back and listen to one cock, you know, preaching somewhere that does not believe in the identity of Jesus as, you know, divine, as human, then you'll be like, does Reverend Nelson really know the trending issues that regard this passage? So that is why, before you know it, if you entertain those kinds of teachings, you become spiritually lukewarm. And you will not be active you will not have value. I don't know if that represents the life of someone listening to me this morning. It is important to understand that it does not represent spiritual lifelessness or absence of zero. Rather, it, is, it signifies a good quali- qualitative life that is beneficial. Now, one of the things I realized that this church is young I, I was just teasing one of the others. I said, you are not young according to the experience of the disciples. The disciples were three years old when Jesus left them, and they turned the world upside down. So if you are four years as a church, it means your experience is more than the apostles. So you are no longer a young church. What am I saying? The vitality of this local congregation will be tested based on how much impact you have outside yourself. If your impact is only within, you know, I'm not saying we should not do pastoral care. No. Get me very well. It's part of the ministry of the church. But you know, this church exists uniquely in this environment, in Duluth, in America, so that you will reach the ends of the earth. The day you close your eyes from reaching to the ends of the earth, you become lukewarm. And I look forward to see you going to mission trips, short mission trips to other nations. Then, When you come back, you realize that you have a lot of work to do out there. The Laodicean church was so lukewarm, it could not affect the society it lives around. You know, Jesus, when he was teaching, he told his disciples, when a salt loses its saltiness, what will you do with it? Say it has no value. Do you know that there are many churches in America today? They are lukewarm. And when a church is lukewarm, it is more dangerous than unchurched organizations. When a church is lukewarm, it supports things that that church is supposed to repel. The church in America needs revival. The church in Duluth needs revival. You know, some time ago, we say we go out to the nations. The nations are coming to America. What are we doing with the nations? What are we doing with them? If we are lukewarm as a church, we see the nations by our doors. We say they are nuisance. The day you pick a particular place and begin to pray. Even when you don't go there, the Lord is able to raise another church to do something there. The second mark for a lukewarm church or the church of Laodicea is that they are blind. That's what the text says. Verse 16. So, because your lukewarm are neither hot nor cold, I will speak to you. Verse 17 says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, nothing realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The church in America is materially blessed. There is no church on earth that has financial resources, human resources like the church in America today. It is only in America, it's very difficult, you walk into a church, you find that it's only the pastor that is theologically trained. I will not be surprised, there are many people who have gone to seminary here, either they audit a course, just because they want to grow in the knowledge of God's word, not because they are called into ministry. They say, no, I want to grow in my knowledge of the text, of the Bible, so that I will serve God very well. But do you know what? There are churches outside there that it is only the local church pastor that is biblically literate, is theologically trained. I served in such kind of places where I was running three services. I'll preach three times in a Sunday. And I can do that for like four weeks, two months. No one to help. Baptist Church Comba, I was telling them last week, I congratulated them because they say we are not only going to send people to mission trips, but we will partner in training people theologically. And that is why now they are coming along to support some of us to be trained theologically. And where we will serve the Lord, we don't know. Our desire is to return to Africa to serve. But if God says, no, your mission on that place is over for a while, you need to raise another army somewhere, we are willing to go there. I encourage you not just to send money for missions, but think and see how you can partner in training people theologically. That will go far. That will test or will last the test of time. The church in America is blind. I pray that this church, as you are growing, you will not be blindfolded by the materialism of this land. I pray that you will not be blindfolded by the superiority of America in 21st century. Because everything you touch America, we will say we have the best. We have the best. Church, we have the best. Security, we have the best. Economy, we have the best. Democracy, we have the best. But I will also add evil and confusion, we have the best. May God have mercy on us. I pray that God will raise you. God will encourage you as a local church to see how you will stand like Jeremiah. You will stand like Ezekiel. You will stand like Isaiah of our time. Let me just go to my last point. I'll leave the rest of the observation. Exhortation with the best promise. You see that verse 18 to 22. I counsel you. Jesus said, buy from me gold purified by fire, that you may be rich, that you may be clothed, and cover the shame of your nakedness. Buy white garment from me. Anoint your eyes with eye and that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and desire to repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. He that overcomes, I will give him to sit with me in my throne as I also observe and sat down with my father. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The passage, we said, point us first to Jesus Christ. Secondly, we said that the passage points us or rebuked us against unqualitative Christian life, which is lukewarmness. And then lastly, the passage comes with exhortation to us. The exhortation in verse 18 to 22 reveals that the goal of the rebuke is not rejection, but it is a call to repentance, which is rooted in hearing the Spirit. The rebuke shows that the Laodicean view of reality is faulty and it is not the same with Jesus, which is also the same we just said concerning the church in America. This church sees prosperity in wealth and health. But Jesus' exhortation shows that prosperity is having healthy fellowship with Christ. That is rooted or that is rooted in hearing the Holy Spirit. Prosperity. It is not having big account. It is not having good health system. It may be a dividends of prosperity, but that is not prosperity. That is why Jesus drew the attention. He said, oh yes, you have textiles, you have medical school that produce that powder that can cure your eyes. But you see, I have a better remedy to blindness that is caused by sin. I have a better remedy that clothes, physical clothes could not cover that type of nakedness. There is a nakedness that cannot be covered by the best textile industries in the world. And that nakedness is nakedness that comes when people decide to reject God. When people decide to reject the definition of reality by God, they are naked. The text in Genesis chapter 3 is a classical pointer to that the bible told us when adam and eve ate from the fruit immediately they realized they were what they were naked foolish people they ran and look for leaves and then they hide from god how many people are hiding from god today how many people are looking for other materials to cover their nakedness? Let me just give you one material, intellectual material we use to cover nakedness that is caused by sin. Psychoanalysis. It's good. I'm not against psychologists. God give us those guys to help us deal with some issues. But when psychoanalysis becomes a God, that is where we have a big problem. A good book, if you want to read, is Karl Truman's recent book on the triumph of modern self. He gave a good x-ray of the history of ideas and how the Western world became where it is today. And one of the key figures Karl Truman, x rays in that book is Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud, who helps now to destroy the question of gender even in our society. So it is the, uh, these big guys in the medical schools that define gender to us, not the Bible. Not the Bible. And that comes from the danger of psychoanalysis when it is used negatively. Why am I bringing this? Nakedness that comes from such ideologies cannot be covered by another intellectual ability. Very soon, by God's grace, uh, myself and one of our professors, Dr. Allison, were working on an article. Female genital mutilation in Africa versus gender reassignment surgery in the West. If female genital mutilation in Africa is violence against humanity, what makes gender reassignment surgery not to be violence against humanity? Nakedness, spiritual nakedness. I pray that God will have mercy upon us. Some of us, when we preach, we are used to this. If we are out, they catch us and arrest us. We go and rest with Jesus. We have preached when we hear gunshots. So we have come a long way through God's grace. We are not afraid to declare the counsel of God. If that will be our last message, so be it. So be it. Jesus said, he has remedy for nakedness. He has remedy for spiritual blindness. And then we see that Jesus said, therefore, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. You no, know, Sometimes we quickly jump to say, this passage is talking to unbelievers. You know, Laodicean church was not a secular organization. It was a local church. So it means there are believers in that church. So this text... That sometimes it's often used in mission fields. If you hear God calling you, come, 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 come. Then we that are together, we have relationship with Christ. We quickly say, this is not for me. It's for unbelievers. No. Even today, God is calling us to perhaps renew our relationship with him. Even today, Jesus is calling the church in America. He's saying, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. If you open, I will come in and I will help you to see how to reach the nations that are around you and the nations that are out there in the world. Then we also see there's a promise for those who conquer. He said, those who conquer, there is a promise for those who conquer. The The use of conquer here is not a statement of probability. It is an affirmation of eternal life to those who have fellowship with Christ. Success is not wealth and hell, but it is an affirmation of the victory of Christ in the Lord, or Christians in the Lord. John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 to 5 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That is why Jesus called them to listen to the Spirit, or what the Spirit says to the churches. This is what will give them true happiness. What will give us true happiness, brothers and sisters? What will give us true happiness? It is not the strong insurance we have. You know, it's when I got to America, I realized that oh, now I realize that why Americans, when things happen, they don't get to bother so well because they have insurance. You know, I, I was, when we were traveling, coming here, somebody's car caught fire. And then he just came out with his wife and they found a place and sat down and they were just making phone calls. And I told my wife, "It is if this happened in Africa, you know what will happen. That man will try as much as possible to quench that fire. Why? Because no insurance. But here, insurance company will come and replace your vehicle. When natural disaster blows your house, insurance company will come and help you. When somebody breaks into your house, when you report and you have a case, insurance company will come and fix your house. But in some part of the world, it's not like that. It's not like that. As we conclude, how can we conquer? It is only through Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. True success is not wealth and health, but victory through faith in Christ. Happiness is not possession of wealth and health, but it is in hearing what the Spirit says to the churches. So what? Hold fast. I'm coming soon, says the Lord. He who conquers will be a pillar. He who conquers, I will give authority over our nations. The one who conquers, I will give a hidden manna. He who conquers will not be hurt by death. The one who conquers will eat the tree of life. Several years ago, In an interview during his battle with cancer, a theologian, Francis Schaeffer, said this, the only way to be foolishly happy in this world is to be young enough, well enough, and have money enough, and not give a care about other people. But as soon as you don't have any of the first three Or if you have compassion for the weeping world around you, then it is impossible to have the foolish kind of happiness that I believe some Christians present as Christianity. What is your greatest need in life? Is it to be happy? We may long for a change in our circumstances, and sometimes that's what we get. But a change in life is our deepest need. Changed circumstances may make us happier, but a changed life will make us better for it will make us like Christ. Therefore, repent from defining life based on wealth and health and happiness that flows from the things we mention. Turn to the promise of victory over evil. Hear the spirit, not the message of wealth, health. When your life is rooted in Jesus, you will make him happy and you will be happy. Make Jesus the goal of your life. And when you do that, you will not be lukewarm. You will not be neither cold nor hot. Let's bow ahead head as we pray. One question of reflection. How is your walk with Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus? Or are you pursuing material things like the Laodicean church? Just take this time and ask God for mercy. And maybe you don't have relationship with Christ. This is an opportunity. Because the text says Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. If you open, he will come in and have fellowship with you. This may be the last time you hear this kind of invitation. Why not give God opportunity? Or Why not? Respond to this opportunity God is giving you for a relationship. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us that it is only a right understanding of the identity of Christ as divine and as a human who came and died on the cross to save us. It is only through the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can conquer evil in this world. Help our lives. Help our leaders. Help our churches. Help our nation. That we will not be lukewarm in our response and responsibility as a local church and as Christians where we find ourselves. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.
0: Wow. Praise God.